Matt Dodson is a vaccine. I'm Steve. Happy New Year. Adam Myros is here. Myros, what, what's your New Year's resolution? Uh, boy, I don't know. I, I, I don't really do such things, Steve. I, I try to get worse every year. Nothing, nothing at all. Not, not, not a single thing that you want to get better at. Just, just constantly devolving. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to graduate. So, uh, um, I resolve to graduate. You <laughs> don't flunk Set out in my last semester. a low bar, man. Yeah. Uh, Jack Eason, how about you? What's your, what's your big new year's resolution? Uh, I, you know, I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to get to the gym, going to lose some weight. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to clean up. You know, just just kind of like clean up my health and and just eat right and live right. And also, I'm going to take up smoking. Yeah, hell yeah, that's that's the way to do it. Yeah, man. yeah. I could say I'm going to quit like smoking, a... but I still got one more year. I, I get one more year with a cigarette. <laughs> I was going to say you you set a you set a very clear line for that. So I think you should smoke more in 2024. Just to kind of Adam, you just you picked a year out in front and said that's the year you will give up smoking. No, the very day yeah. I started smoking, I said I won't smoke past my thirties. It's I, I'm a late in life, uh, late in life smoker. You know, I didn't smoke young. I just uh, always kind of liked it, picked it up, and said, "Nah, yeah." I, by the time I turn forty, you got to quit, otherwise, uh, you know, you yeah. get cancer and whatnot. Myros, unlike the rest of us who like picked it up as teenagers and then we're like smoking a pack a day in our early twenties, uh, Adam Myros. <laughs> Barely touched the things. Then at the ripe old age of 35 is like, I think it's time. Yeah. <laughs> just, just missing something. That's, uh, I'm interested in the yeah, science yeah. behind the, if you don't smoke after, after 40, you're fine. But, uh, hopefully, well, I, mean, hopefully I don't it works know about fine, but I think if you, <laughs> it's just a stigma. I think if you keep it under a decade of lifetime smoking, you, you, your chances of cancer aren't like why I mean, it's an high. intriguing part like honestly now i'm like what if i did just smoke like a chimney for a year just like fuck it i don't think that would give you cancer i think if you got cancer at that point it would just be <laughs> you, you, genetics yeah well or, i you could know, do what my dad solutions. did and my, my dad my, my parents both were were smokers when i was a kid and my mom quit my mom quit before I was born, actually, but she used to. Be. And then my dad was a smoker, and he smoked all through my childhood. And then somewhere around my teens, he quit smoking. But he quit smoking with the caveat that when on holiday, he he could have he could smoke when he was on vacation, right? And we would go to France mm. or whatever on vacation, and he'd he'd smoke up outside the caravan of that. And then the day we would leave France, he would buy a fucking carton of cigarettes. <laughs> and then, well, you, know, yeah. you, you gotta keep smoking, like, you you have them, so you gotta, you gotta finish those off, and those would last him through <laughs> until, like, the next trip, so, he quit smoking, he hasn't, mm -hmm. he's, he's been successfully quitting smoking for 20 plus years now, I would say. That's the way to do yeah. it, man, like, like, the way I do it is, I don't smoke regularly, why would I do that, it's, it's a real pain in the ass, but, if I have six drinks, then I can smoke as much as I want. Uh, That's yeah, the rule. Yeah. Why deny myself these simple pleasures? Honestly, yeah, yeah no, I, I'm, I'm a drunk smoker. I will take a cigarette if I have, if I've drank yeah. some, and then the next morning I will feel like absolute shit and I will curse my decisions, but. Exactly. It's, it's the peanut butter and jelly of self-destructive people. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. great. And I mean, I will always be that level of smoker as well, where I, I don't drink particularly often these days, usually just a couple times a year when I'm going out with friends but 
guess what? Yeah, probably until the day I, they do put me down into the earth there, I, I'm sure I will have a, a pack of cigarettes to uh, demark those occasions where I am going out drinking, because I, I, I do find that to be uh, quite quite a nice compliment. <laughs> oh, it's the best. It's the best. Now, Myros, do you, do you want to hear about my New Year's resolution? Sure, Steve. All right. It's, I mean, it's the same one I have every year. Okay. So my New Year's resolution is to uh, finally court your mother and marry her. So you have to call me dad. Uh, I mean, best of luck, man. <laughs> oh, man. I, do, you, do you think I'd be the kind of stepdad that, that you would respect? Or would, am I going to have to like take my belt off and teach you a thing or two? Or like, what's, what, what do you think? What I'm, kind of a father am I? Uh, that, that's uh, tough to say, Steve. I am older than yeah. you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just thinking. If, that doesn't mean you can't call me dad. I think the main the, the main metric here is uh, do you support the same sports teams? That's like a major part of being a dad is not bringing oh, up your, yeah. your your son to follow some other bullshit team. So how's that going to work oh, out? Oh no, yeah. I I don't know. That's uh, that could be tough. Yeah, no. I I mean, I I think we all have a, a soft spot in our heart for the various Detroit teams, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, I guess my secondary teams are usually Chicago based, whereas Steve's are, are now Wisconsin based. So. Oh well, mm -hmm. there we go. Alter yeah, alternately, uh, Adam, you could just dye your hair and like become pansexual, just like yeah, get it, Steve. You know. I mean, I don't have that much hair left. I'm really clinging. It's just a matter of time. For it's gone. You can dye your scalp. Yeah. It's just going to mess to just shave it off at some point. <laughs> what if you, you should just, what if you just like left like a rat tail? You know what I mean? You know, just like, just, just let it all grow backwards. Slick it back as far as it can go. But better get rid of the rest. Uh, that impossible. way the thinness won't matter because you'll be rat tail focused. I, uh. You never do know where I'll go. I, I'm sure I would have already committed to like at least a, a, a real short crop. If if only I could just grow a fucking beard, that I would have given up the ghost. But it's hard to rock the the clean shaven, shaved head look without looking like a psychopath. Yeah, that's not good. Because then I mean, because if you can't grow facial hair, what are you at that? You're like Butterbean. Like who's who's that guy? You're like yeah, especially the, the when I have the, the physique of Butterbean. You know, it's just a bad look. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, if you if you smoke enough and maybe hit the gym more, you could you could go from Butterbean to Michael Chiklis. Like that's that's fine, right? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Anything's possible. Uh, but we're we're not here to talk about Butterbean or how I'm going to become Myros's dad. We're here to we're here to talk about New Year's, man. And wouldn't you know? Last week we covered Bloodbeat and Christmas Evil. So this week, uh, just because vaguely similar wordplay, we're covering New Year's Evil and Bloody New Year. How, how about it? That's fun. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Much like the Christmas holiday, I feel like I have more fun on Christmas than I do on New Year's. And the movies kind of track in the same way. I think that but makes sense. Yeah. That being said, let me let me give you my hard sell on New Year's Evil. And by hard sell, I'm hard selling you on the fact that it is the fucking Mendoza line for early 80s slashers, which is to say it is the lowest level of acceptability that you can have for an early 80s slasher. It is derivative as shit. Yes, sure. Um, does it look good? Eh, not really. Does it look bad? No, not at all. Uh, what do they do with all the, the empty dead space? Well, they, they do a smart thing here. 
If you have pacing issues or if your movie isn't feature length, what do you do? You get a band and you just have them perform repeatedly. Uh, in this case, it's Made in Japan, which is a real band, actually. Uh, they, they actually they used to open for, for Love in the 1970s. You know, Forever Changes, Love, Arthur Lee, uh, which is weird. Fucking weird. Uh, but yeah. So, gore. It's fine. Violence. It's fine. Uh, every single person in the movie, are they 27 or are they 47? I don't know, and neither do you, because this was this is what movies were at the time. Uh, and then my favorite thing about the whole film is at one point, the killer busts out a mask, and it's actually a really creepy mask, and he uses it for one scene, and he doesn't kill anyone, and then he takes it off, and it's just like, fuck it, who cares? And that is New Year's Evil. It is the most fucking check the boxes, paint by numbers, completely adequate slasher you have ever seen in your entire life. Yeah, I, I'd actually forgotten <laughs> that I'd watched this in the run-up. I was, I had a panic when we were starting this episode. It's like, shit, did I forget to watch? What was the other movie on the docket? And then I just remembered it was this, because I've just kind of, it's, yeah, it's, this it is real slick. It just, it just, it passes by. It leaves no mark. Um, I think, I think we were saying earlier, you know, about how New Year's uh, movies, these ones are not as good as the Christmas movies. And I think that makes sense, because I think, Christmas is interesting because Christmas is ostensibly very joyous, family oriented and nostalgia. All of these things like tie into it and it changes and morphs as you become an adult as the world and your responsibilities change. And New Year's just sucks. New Year's always fucking sucked. I hate it. It's it's just like because New Year's is basically like any other day of the year, except you can't go out without it being just the worst. Um, and and yeah. I just think that's and that's it really I think the movies suitably reflect that too because these movies are just kind of like they're just sort of they feel a little bit like an imposition it's like I'll enjoy I, I enjoy a slasher movie and I put this on it just feels like a little bit of an imposition it just feels a little bit like mm, god this you know I've I've had more fun with other ones it's like same same kind of deal boy I've yeah, had less fun much. with other ones too I I mean I think this movie's totally fine it's totally uh, I, fine, uh, yeah. Yeah, I I like a lot about it. I don't think it's executed especially well. I think this might solve a, a mystery as to why they changed the name of Christmas Evil to Christmas Evil, uh, because the, the, that was distributed by the Canon Group, and this is also a Canon Group film from the exact same year, so <laughs> maybe uh, they were making the same sort of uh, loose connection that we were and really just leaning into... 1980s uh, holiday evil uh that was the big selling point people were really mm. testing well with the word evil i guess i don't fucking know <laughs> yeah it's 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 a, it's a weird movie um because yeah it's like it's it's all set around a new year's concert being hosted by Roz kelly uh who is just i, I mean she's best known she played what one of fonzie's girlfriends in um in happy days and yeah, I think I think like like Steve, our our intro actually about cigarettes. I think was pretty relevant because I think that is part of the agelessness of of actors of this era is largely probably due to years of just hard smoking. It's very difficult to tell what age anyone is, but she's a very peculiar choice to head up a slasher movie because she's 
I, mm. she's, I mean, I guess she's an attractive older woman, probably, for the intended audience, I think. But how, how is so she? Strange. Is she 27 or is she 47? <clears throat> I mean, she's got she? a, a son who seems to be 25, so you, I, I assume yeah. she's older. But well, she's still son is, like I'm pretty sure that son's meant to be... Well, actually, no, he's a gigging actor, so no, he's not even meant to be a high schooler. I don't fucking know. Yeah. It's very confusing, yeah. and, and the whole movie yeah. kind of spins out. Like, you would think that would be an interesting like through line but it isn't particularly um but yeah it, it's strange no. it yeah. starts off with that and then it's like it, it screws up because because she's like the queen of like the punk rockers that's her character and she's hosting this new year's show which inexplicably is like watching new year's being rung in around like all the different time zones in the u.s and you're wondering why people tuning in for punk rock would could give a shit about like the ball falling in new york which also is being relegated in this broadcast to being seen on like a little black and white TV monitor. Uh, a very confusing decision. But um, it, the, the whole concert is like the best of punk and new wave. And there's two bands that play in, in this concert. And they are neither punk nor new wave. They're pretty much like 70s yeah. hard rock. Which makes me just think like, again, it's pretty much missing who you would think is the intended target audience for this film, which is probably people who were actually into punk and new wave. Um, yeah, this, just, the, the main theme song performed not by made in Japan, but by the other band on the soundtrack, which is gotta be some invention of this movie called rock band shadow. Uh, <laughs> right. but it sounds like a fucking like owner of a lonely heart or something. It's a very yes sounding. And I'm yeah, like, it's, why are we doing this with the, and with you know, the to be new honest, wave punk thing? It's it's probably like I mean it's a pretty good tune to have just kind of randomly materialized for some like threadbare slasher movie. Like it's got a pretty yeah. good riff through it, but it doesn't fit what they're doing, like what they claim to be doing. I mean, this movie opens with like a a, a huge open air, open top Cadillac full of like uh, basically like punk rockers as envisioned from uh, from from like the Return of the Living Dead, like the punk rockers who never existed. Just so outlandish looking, mm -hmm. but still clean cut, yeah. like Demons it, it just or something, yeah. bizarre thing. But yeah, and they're all rolling into this show to listen to basically like their dad's dad rock, basically. Like it was dad rock even then. Now it's granddad rock. I don't know. Yeah. Does this it's predate, great, man? Does this predate <laughs> like Headbangers Ball? I think it must. Oh, yeah, it does. For sure it does. It, Absolutely. It's what it feels like they're doing, which is hair metal. And then she specifically gets on uh, the lines like, Hey, we're voting today for best new wave song. I'm like, what? Why are there punks in the audience of this Headbangers Ball <laughs> ripoff? And we're fucking talking about new wave songs. Yeah, I love the concept. Yes you're, you're inviting a bunch of punks into a room to cooperate for a live TV broadcast, which is just if yeah. Saturday Night Live would demonstrate this is an extremely bad idea. Uh, but thankfully in the movie in the movie it works out fine because the punks they, they it never comes back to them they're just they're just there partying like they didn't, actually they don't really play any role in the film whatsoever no the the whole thing is it runs parallel to the actual slasher film that is happening yeah. outside of this this concert thing because yeah like half the movie is this band playing or the woman hosting the the room full of punks while the band plays or the woman back in her dressing room talking to her agent or whatever. And she's like, oh, geez, some real sickos are calling in tonight. What are we going to do? But all the action is happening off screen. All the all the 
the titular slashing in the slasher. It's all happening over there. Yeah. And, and really, they don't converge until the end. <laughs> their only, yeah, their only connection really is this phone bank, which I don't know how that's meant to work. <laughs> I guess it's no. live it's on like there the when she Lewis answers it. for new waivers. <laughs> yeah, but there's like six phones, and every time she answers it, it seems to be broadcasting live to air, but I, I guess it's a good thing she's always answering good old evil's calls or something. I don't yeah, know. it's it's nice. It's it's like if the uh, the, the guy from Black Christmas... Yeah, he's calling in the Jerry Lewis telethon and got on air every single time. It just, I, I'm guessing the punk call-in show just didn't get a lot of callers. It's like empty space, so you can get in whenever. Yeah, whenever like, I don't want. want to waste a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. This movie is kind of weird in its its function, where you it's set up like another Who Done It uh, slasher, where you have, especially with the way they introduce this son who is like a fucking creep supreme and uh for no reason like i I have no idea what function he actually serves you're like okay he's gonna be either the killer or the red herring but he's not any of those because it it just immediately shows us the killer (laughs) after introducing his creep ass well we have to discover the killer's relationship rather than it's like i guess is the mystery sure sure absolutely i think that is you're like who's this guy to our our protagonist but it's also like why are we doing this setup with the sun then i i do this it's just kind yeah, of confusing it's, stuff it's a weird i mean i guess it's it's cements she's a bad mom and then at the end of the movie spoiler alert when the father because uh, it turns out the killer is is her ex or her current husband and he's actually a mental patient which is one of those weird things where it's like he's lived in a mental asylum for several years and she never knew this apparently, but also he seems to have just been functioning fine for years, but he, I guess once you leave the mental hospital, you're never well again. He's actually totally nuts yeah. this whole time, even but though he's is been... He... <laughs> I don't knows? even know, his motivation doesn't sound like, it's not like, ooh, he's cuckoo bananas, it's like, no, he's like trying to fucking get money off her or something. I'm like, this doesn't... <laughs> Yeah, but it's not it was, like the, the motives of an insane man. It's the motives of a, a plotting murderer. No, it's true. And he dresses. And he's, uh, he's pretty level headed. Yeah. He, he looks like an Easter Island statue. And he's, uh, yeah, he's very meticulous. I would say he's definitely he's, he's yeah. the key performance of the movie. I think the, the actor playing the killer is definitely doing more heavy lifting than anyone else here. Yeah, I would say. And mm-hmm. I, I think he's he's quite good. And. It's a fun setup for a slasher. Again, I think this also feels to me very Larry Cohen because not not so much prime era New York grime Larry Cohen, but like gimmick movie, like really taut setup Larry Cohen when he's he's not directing so much as he's just a really professional thriller writer. And this this feels uh, right in line with something like Phone Booth or something. You know, it, it is just a uh pretty taut thing i don't think it's executed especially well because again there's a way you keep this in the television studio uh that probably is more satisfying but nonetheless this is a is a pretty pretty fun device to hang a slasher around and i i think you could do a hell of a lot worse frankly you you get a pretty compelling killer you get a pretty taut cohen-esque uh, sort of thriller and does it all come together no are there some decisions that are kind of head scratching absolutely but eh, it's not a bad movie i I enjoyed myself it's uh it's interesting too because this is probably the most conventional film 
of Emmett Alston's career. Uh, director, and I, I think, did he write this one too? Yeah, he's a co-writer. He he's a co-writer. He's a co-writer. And the guy is, he's not, and it's, this is also his most competent movie by a mile. Uh, and I'm, I'm surprised that <laughs> Cannon took a flyer on him because his, his only previous uh, directorial credit before New Year's Evil was Three-Way Weekend, which, uh, Myros, you seen a Three-Way Weekend? I have not. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you might want to cue it up because it's a late 1970s sex comedy uh, about like a bunch of bisexual women getting chased by a guy in a gorilla mask. So I think the you know, only one of cinema. his films I've seen is the later incomprehensible George Kennedy film Demon Warp. Hell yeah, Demon Warp. That's like, oh no, it's Sasquatch. And then the twist is actually Sasquatch is an alien. Yeah, it's it's a <laughs> which is great. Yeah, terrible sus- movie. <laughs> always suspected as much yeah. about Sasquatch. Certainly. Also, another great one directed and written by Emmett Alston. Uh, I don't think this maybe it got a DVD release at some point, but it is it's very difficult to find. Um, and I, I think it might be one of those movies that's in rights hell. Uh, but it's the Shokazuki movie, Nine Deaths of the Ninja, which most people are not familiar with because Shokazuki, almost all of his movies, even if they're not great, there's like a, a workmanlike quality to them where the fight choreography is good enough and everything is is fine. So if, he's got some great films, but most of his shit is just it's it's totally OK. And you feel like he's one of those people kind of like Jackie Chan, where you know, he's not the listed director, but you can tell that he's in control of the action. And so everything is going to function as it should. Now, Nine Deaths of the Ninja is not that at all. It's a colossal fucking mess. It is like a, a tire fire of a movie. And uh, yeah, very difficult to come across. So incredible director, very, <laughs> very unorthodox in many of his films. And it, it's wild to me that, yeah, like my biggest takeaway from New Year's Evil is how generic and adequate it is in, in every way, shape and form. It's, it's a real odd duck. And the co-writers, uh, biggest credit is Russ Myers, black snake. Strange, strange yeah, stuff. And again, yeah. yeah, you would not, you would not mistake this for a Russ Meyer movie. Uh, no, <laughs> does not have that energy. Yeah. I mean, I think this one just falls no. just in the wrong side of generic to me. Like it, it, almost it's, it's so, well made or like you know it's so competently assembled that honestly there's just it just kind of passes by without comment it's uh, the few quirks in it in terms of who is this for and who are these bands and so on kind of like passes by pretty quickly and you're just left with it's something that's just it's just a little too smooth around the edges it doesn't have there's really not much of a way into it um but yeah i mean perfectly Perfectly fine movie you've caught on TV. You nothing else to do that you know you you could sit with it. It is it's not it's not objectionable at all. Yeah, I think that the the fact that mm-hmm. it is not a whodunit slash here does it a lot of favors in my mind because I think if it was, I'd have I'd have checked out because it's like oh, I've seen this movie ten thousand goddamn times and this has just that little twist which kind of throws things for a loop, especially. When you are considering this son, like doing his fucking Francis Dollar Hyde routine, and you're like, "What is going on with some of this stuff?" And yeah, it's it is very generic in in many respects. But staying away from the Who Done It for me was the right call because it it separates it a little from your fucking April Fool's Days and your the thousands of other of these movies. And 
Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's just like kind of off enough to work. Like it, it makes narrative mistakes uh, in a way that I'm like, is this intentional or not? Like the guy's whole thing is he's going to kill someone in the four time zones when they go to midnight. And he doesn't even do it. For <laughs> he doesn't kill anyone yeah. in the mountain time zone at all. <laughs> Not enough people talking about mountain time, the forgotten time zone. <laughs> well, the movie's talking about it. <laughs> then they just like edit it so that there's no kill in that time zone. And you're just supposed to like He's ignore that him. fact. That but we have the twist of the kill in, in, in the local time zone and it just turns out to be him. And then we have an extra time zone. We have a bonus time zone, Hawaii. And the mantle passes yeah. from father yeah. to son. And that might be compelling, except that we don't really know what the relationship between the father and the son is. Particularly, just it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And she's, he's just, the son has got a big professional breakthrough. He got his own, you know, he got a role in a show. He's an, an actor and he did it under a fake name. So he's not riding his mom's coattails or anything. And it's like, should be a very happy day for him. But his mom is preoccupied to be fair because he breaks this news to her like 20 minutes before she has to go out and host a live television uh, new year's event which honestly is not a great time to try and ask for someone else's attention uh you know i gotta side yeah. with her a little bit on this she's probably quite busy but um he, he's very pissed off about it and then his dad dies and he's like oh that's terrible i hate my mom now and all of this it's it's but it's all very <laughs> straightforward like it all it just kind of happens you go okay of course of course and then the interim is literally like all the like kills to start up are basically entirely random they're just just random bodies that are just found out there he he kills someone at the insane asylum he used to be a patient at i guess but it's just a random nurse he doesn't know her she doesn't know him uh he picks up some women he ends up in a blood feud with some hell's angels by accident um it's kind of just, i guess he uh, also he also kills like her, her assistant or something i don't know when yeah, he kills her at the start in the mental hospital? not in a time zone or something i you, you know, know is, i thought he was i thought he was a patient at the mental hospital which uh i i don't know you would think then that the nurse that he bones down with would recognize that he was a patient in said mental <laughs> no, hospital but like he's he's actively married she gets lost in those eyes man yeah, he's he's <laughs> married to her to, to, to the like their their current husband and wife he's not even an ex-husband i don't think they're like maybe they're Oh, yeah, yeah, they're married. So, so I, yeah, I, it's just, it doesn't have a lot of, of meat on it. And it's it's just kind of like, I mean, it's in a decently enough early 80s slasher. And it's got all those yeah. parts moving to it. But it, it's just like, at a certain point, If it point, were you're a Larry like, Cohen script, uh, you wouldn't be picking all these damned holes. No, <laughs> no. It, they, it does not hold up to any uh, examination whatsoever. And part, part of the issue is the holes no. stand out because there's not really... There's nothing like it doesn't really have a hook. Otherwise, even the violence in this is is pretty tame, pretty standard. Um, there's not, you know, I, the big gimmick, I guess, is to the finale. He's just got a couple of screwdrivers stuck in the circuit box for the elevator so he can make it go up and down at his leisure, which is not as cinematic as you might have hoped. Um, that's <laughs> kind of the movie. Well, he does chop someone in well, half not that with menacing the car, either. Right? Doesn't that happen? <laughs> yeah, he does that. There's a chop in yeah. half that's pretty good. But other than that, yeah, pretty pretty uh, lame. Kills. Yeah, yeah, same yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's like they keep finding like he keeps finding women that he stabbed, and then one of the cops says like he's mutilated all the victims' breasts. He's a real sick puppy, and it's like did did he? 
I don't remember yeah, that. Happening. It's not like he was cutting off a whole titty. I think that like one of the women, it's just visible that she had been stabbed well, yeah, in the he chest. Yeah, just stabbed the women in the chest. That's which is not. Yeah, that's just like normal to kill behavior. You know, that, that's a, <laughs> I know. That's where I marry it. It's a good spot. Yeah. yeah, that's where I'm choosing. Jeez. Uh, well, you know, if, if this movie was a little too conventional, a little boring for you, why not dip yourself into the cool waters? Of Norman J. Warren, uh, who is, I don't know, what if Sam Raimi was British and he only had the budget of the first Evil Dead movie for every single thing that he ever did? And that's Norman J. Warren. He's a little goofy, a little silly, uh, but he's got a little bit of magic. There's a, there's a twinkle in his eye and it creates cheap schlock that is, is usually a perfectly good time. Is it? And uh, I guess this uh, one must uh, be the exception. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is it's it's all right. It's it's okay. It's it's not my favorite Norman J. Warren. It's it's a little bit late in the Norman J. Warren era, and uh, I, I I do like that his movies they have this manic energy, but I think it comes from a place of he's really just trying to get everyone to keep moving so he can finish the film in the limited amount of time that he has. Uh, also, you, you were probably watching this, Myros, and saying, I don't, is, is this really a New Year's movie? It doesn't feel too New Year's-y to I me. It was indeed, and I think, <laughs> Yes, I Yeah, was. and that's because originally it was called, like, Time Warp Terror or something. I don't think it was meant to be you a New Year's movie. You don't fucking say. It kind of got there. It does seem to be uh, taking yeah, place in the middle know, of the summer. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a tough one. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, it's I guess it's similar to maybe those that those La Casa, like the Italian Evil Dead knockoffs that we watched, where it's mostly just cornball shit with a, a loose assemblage of a plot. And you're just seeing what kind of fun stuff can get possessed. Like, oh, look, God, oh, the banister is possessed. What are we going to yeah, do? I don't even know what the it's loose uh, plot is in this fucking movie, frankly. It's like. Our, uh, our boat has a hole. How, now we're on Time Warp yeah, Island. It's it? just like sure. Triangle. And, and Adam, you have to know the plot because at one point one of the zombie slash ghosts just lays it all out in a weird monologue while everyone stands around listening to them. Um, uh, fair. Yeah. This occurs, I think, like five minutes from the credit roll. You can put the rest of it together before that because it's like, oh, there's a uh, spy invisible plane and something and it's... I don't, it kind it kind of makes sense. You're a smarter man than I, Jack. I couldn't put it together for the fucking life of me. I was like, "What the I shit mean, is this stupid goddamn haunted <laughs> hotel? Why is who gives a shit about it?" Either? <laughs> rough assembly. I will say, I th it's not a great movie, but I to me this I enjoy this more than New Year's Evil because it's like the flip side of New Year's Evil, whereas New Year's Evil is very slick and organized and kind of no nonsense and gets mm -hmm. through everything appropriately. This is the movie that is all weird angles and strange shit, and it, half of it, I don't know why it's there. It's got all this comedy stuff in it that's not particularly funny, but the movie is not really a comedy either. It's, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a very peculiar movie. And I thought when it started, I saw there seemed to be some degree of, like, promise to it as a ghost story about New Year's and kind of like this hotel trapped in a time loop and everyone kind of having to revisit, you know... The, I guess New Year's is a time for reflection and then maybe, you know, the, that would be captured in. These people would be brought into the ghosts' lives and they would see these, you know, 
ponder what they were reflecting infinitely and there might be that but no ultimately it just it turns out it's a movie where a girl gets bitten by a fucking wooden duck banister and uh, one guy gets mm-hmm. eaten by a vat in like some kind of cooking device in the kitchen which burps afterwards it, it just it yeah. shifts to that kind of movie pretty quickly um also you, <laughs> you think new year's reflection in a movie that only connection to New Year's is, is again, the, a speech in the last five fucking minutes of the thing. Like, <laughs> well, this I mean, movie takes with place on, like, a summer vacation where they're all visited a fucking, like, fun fair and <laughs> flee to an island on a nice yeah. boat well, trip. Opens. Oh, we're having a holiday. We are. <laughs> oh, no. There's a hole in my dinghy. What are we going to do when the, they're on the, the island? The description of this movie might tell you that the hotel is, is decorated for New Year's. Whatever the fuck that even means. No one decorates for New Year's. <laughs> it's decorated for goddamn Christmas. <laughs> It's Christmas with the new yeah. New Year's New Year's decorations or Christmas decorations, but you put up a Happy New Year banner, which they have in the lobby. That's mm-hmm. all bases covered. This makes perfect sense. No problem there. It does. Uh, weirdly, this band, this movie also has a band credited, just as like songs by. I don't remember what the name of the band is. It's strange that both our New Year's movies have like commissioned artists. Um, the band is Cry No More. <laughs> Cry No, no More. More. Yeah. Famed acclaimed band. I, uh, I it's very strange to like songs by Cry No More because I feel like when this movie came out, people would be just as likely as now to go who, and that's mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. But um, you they know, might yeah, think I, they know because two of the songs on uh, on their set list here, are, one is called Jenny, one is called Boys Don't Cry. So I, I think maybe they're trying to uh, skate by on uh, some song titles people might attribute to them in the decade. Maybe who knows? Maybe they're a regional hit. It. Maybe maybe British listeners can call and tell. Oh, cry no more! They were huge. I'm sure. I'm. I'm. <laughs> uh, this movie seems like they really had the budget to pull in. Yeah, the like, if if they were huge, that's that's true. They wouldn't be in Bloody New Year. That's for fucking sure. You wouldn't recognize these tracks, <laughs> anyways. Especially, I mean, maybe the back half of them when the, when this ghost band mysteriously shows up. But the part where I was like almost out immediately is this fucking fun fair because the. The sound is mixed like a goddamn disaster. It's like a fucking blaring bullhorn of doom with all this fucking, like, the song is overlaid with, like, a horribly loud, like, ambient sound from the fun fair, and you can't hear any of the dialogue, and I'm like, oh, God. That's the way to do it. If you're making a movie, <sighs> mono mix, and everything turned up to 11. Yeah, that's that's how you make sense. Except for the dialogue, which you turn down. song going during those scenes. Like, what is this? <laughs> it's the a fucking scenes are, are so confusing to me because they meet, our, our British uh, our British cohorts meet with their American friend uh, who they they meet an American girl for the first time. They meet her because she's being bullied by carnies, essentially. She's in a spinning teacup <laughs> yeah, ride and they're spinning the teacup, which if you've ever been on one of those rides, that's, the, that's the guy's job is to get the things like they they stand up there and they like physically spin the things too to help the mechanism run and that's just that's normal but she's like please stop as if she didn't know she's getting on a fucking spinning fairground ride <laughs> and and at a certain point they're just doing it and and she's like please stop and I'm like are these guys not working the ride like these are just two dudes messing with this one girl but then no the operator comes out and he's wearing the same like overalls they are which identifies that's the uniform of the carnies so i guess they are actually working it and then 
they just chase each other around the fairground for no particular reason until eventually our heroes ostensibly get in their fucking 4x4 and nearly run some people over smashing their 4x4 into like fairground rides which is what and then they just go on a nice boat trip it's an insane sequence it's like the escalation so must be the carnies were just an inciting incident, right? They don't have anything to do with the rest of this movie, surely. <laughs> well, they have a boat, my friend. <laughs> they, they're, they're off to Time Warp yeah. Island. Because cause I can guess because they just ran out of people to be in the movie. They were like, we need something to happen, but it can't happen to the main people. <laughs> so right here are the carnies. They, they had nothing else to do. They didn't have to rebuild their rides or anything for a living. They had to just get in a boat and follow them. I know. How did they follow? Because the boat is fucking been sank. <laughs> That's like, how um, would they know they're on this island? I have. It's it's all a great knows? mystery. I mean, carnies. You never know what they're thinking. Carnies. I feel like are the last group of people you can tar. Pretty much, you can just say whatever you like about them. They're not like a, an ethnic group. They're not really like socioeconomically. No one's really sure what's going on there. So I think I think you can still just do whatever you like with carnival people. Yeah. That's Does that seem right? Yeah, you, you, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, think anybody gets mad about that. You can cool. always make fun of uh, <laughs> occupation for whatever reason. I mean, you give it another five years, we'll be past that. Probably, yeah, there'll be a Twitter carny, I mean, like, blowback. Listen, I, I think being a carny is pretty cool. What, what's, your, what's your life? Like, showering optional. Uh, the only thing that's not optional is you're wearing a, a jean jacket with cut-off sleeves and you're smoking a shitload of cigarettes. It's like you get to be cool and reprehensible at the same time, and nobody can tell you what to do. I think awesome. I don't know. I think there's a great deal of uh, labor that I wouldn't want to do. You know, the assembly of all what, these what, things, hitting, hitting the button. No, oh yeah, you got to tear down and, and build up down. every goddamn third day. Uh, yeah, I'm not interested yeah, in that. Yeah. That's not great. That's what no. you don't right, think. My about. carny dreams are over. Sorry, guys. Not fair. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't really have a ton to say about this one. It's just, it's goofy and it's my least favorite Norman J. Warren movie. But there is a snowstorm inside, which is kind of fun because you're like, oh, I guess they, I guess they could have fudged it and really made this more, you know, Christmas, New Year's appropriate. But instead, they just took a bunch of like laundry soap flakes and tossed them around in front of a fan. The special which, effects you know, in this certainly yeah. uh, reflect a budget. I'm, I was a big fan of they do what, what's often a really great horror effect which is where you you set up a sheet of rubber as a wall and then you know hands push through the wall like it's it's you know curving mm -hmm. it's like really when executed properly it's a, a really great special effect however they've just like painted the plastic or like the rubber sheet which is like thin latex paint which flakes as they they stretch it um, and they do this and they just linger on this several times. It just it yep, looks yep. incredibly fake. Um, not not a good execution of this particular effect, nor is the end result where it's just like a, a shitty like guy pressed into the wall as like a permanent fixture. No, yeah, none of it looks good. <laughs> No, no, but we yeah. do have we have yeah. some good things in here. For example, we have a little Coffin Joe almost callback from Embodiment of Evil. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I guess call forward because Coffin Joe hadn't made that movie yet, where we have black a black and white person coming out of the screen. I guess Purple Rose of Cairo maybe would be, be closer to the time. But he kills the guy by scratching his face. I didn't know why he died, actually. Um, uh, but he, pretty he, common. Yeah, he just scratches his face, <laughs> and it's a guy in like shitty, you know, like living statue makeup. But I thought, you know, it was, was kind of interesting. 
Um, and their friend dies and I, I did enjoy the fact that they like he dies and he's so annoying that no one really mourns him they're like oh no he's dead and then they just seem to just wander around the hotel a bit more they don't really care the other thing I do like in this movie is um, they have in the cinema they're watching Fiend Without a Face which is an amazing movie I love Fiend Without a Face it, it's <laughs> Just it's, you know what I liked about this movie when they were watching a different film. yeah when they were watching another movie Fiend Without a Face is I will acknowledge a significantly better movie than Bloody New Year um I guess they included it because the enemies in that are also invisible and this movie has a whole invisibility thing going on with it although it doesn't really make a lot of sense but just basically as as a callback I think you know it's it's fun. Reminds me, I haven't watched Fiend Without a Face in a while, and I guess maybe our next podcast, we can just do that instead. Sure. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Um, sorry, I don't have much to add, guys. It really it really is. Like, it's just, I, I, got, I got nothing I for this I can't one. blame you. This I, is the one where I was like, well, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm getting awful sleepy. The sleep is coming up for me. <laughs> it's got like, I mean, you, you got like your evil dead element to it where the, the zombies, mm. I didn't like, they, they turn like deadites. But yeah, it's, there, like I say, I think there's just interesting elements in this thing in terms of you know, like the way that the, everyone's trapped in the hotel in this idealized party setting, you know, in the 50s when it was set, you know, obviously the, the film was set in the present day, but this this event happened in like the, the 50s. So there's kind of like an idealized past there as well. You know, I think there could be interesting tensions there, but the film just apparently just gives up. And at the end of it, it's basically just a, a zombie just shows up as like an experimental aircraft that could turn invisible crashed in the island. And now everything's <laughs> invisible and also in a time warp but also visible <laughs> when it needs to be for the purposes of making this movie work. Um, and that's, yeah. and then the like movie it, ends. I mean, truly would we, would we have films like triangle or annihilation? If we didn't have bloody new year, I don't think we would. Much worse place. Another thing that really confused me in this, <laughs> that I took a note of is at one point, um, someone cuts off, a possessed person's arm using the butt of a shotgun, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, he just smacks yeah, his shoulder move. with a blunt wooden object and his arm falls off. And this person was possessed, like, uh, just minutes previously. So it's not like a rotted corpse scenario, which is very, very confusing. Mm -hmm. It's one of those movies well, where you go, oh, I bet they had fun making this. Uh, may I never see it again. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know even know if they did. To be honest, it just—it's—I don't think they probably did. with a budget like that. It probably was very stressful and and annoying. Yeah, I'm guessing it was like a three day shoot, and they worked like eighteen hour days. Well, I don't know. They seem to enjoy it. themselves. I, I, I'm going to give them that. But uh, it's got like <laughs> it's got like big Italian energy in the worst possible way, like the the, the lowest rug of of Italian film. <laughs> but, uh, you, that's okay. I enjoyed it a little more than that, but I, I would definitely admit it it doesn't it's it's odd enough that I'm kinda like, okay, I can get on board, like silly things are happening and it's all you know, I'm never quite sure mm -hmm. what it's gonna do next. But like at the end of it you you are struck by the fact that there's it seemed like it would be a more interesting film than it ultimately turned out to be. So it's it's a little bit disappointing yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, it's sure. not a great thing when you watch a movie called uh, Bloody New Year, and again, the entire movie, you're just going, 
is is this New Year like? Is there going to be anything about New Year in this movie? Like, what what are we doing here? It's a dangerous gambit you play when you you go for this uh, holiday cash in, uh, especially when you make a movie that's not even tangentially related to said holiday. It's not set at the same time of year. Uh, you're just gonna get uh, you're just gonna get me like scratching my head the whole time, going when when's the new year? Is <laughs> <laughs> the new year is well, every day uh, in the hotel, even when it's summer? Yeah, I guess the weather keeps yeah, moving. It's just the works. hotel that's stuck in time for budget purposes. <laughs> Who knows? It's just like Adam Myros hanging out in front of a high school. Um, so, Myros, what are you putting over this week? I guess that's the ultimate question. Uh, well, I am. I, I'm still going to mine from this horror roundup, uh, and I, I'm going to steal one that uh, Jack recommended, uh, which is probably I, you know I said Thanksgiving was the best horror I watched last year. That's that's not entirely true. Maybe the most fun horror movie I watched last year, but this this probably takes the cake. Uh, when evil lurks, it's called. This is an Argentinian. Oh wow! Are you just gonna keep on putting over shit that I put over probably, a couple weeks ago? Yeah. Is that your new shtick? Wow! Oh wait, did you I, put yeah. this over too? It's fuck? been on my radar for a while, but oh, I, yeah. I only realized it was on Shutter last week. I was like looking for this movie. This is the dangers of you guys tuning me out when I well, talk. Maybe you well, should just be more fucking helpful, Steve. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh God! Sorry, Myers. Go ahead. Will you put over? Yeah, no. You, you. I mean, you've all heard Steve talk about how great this film is. No, it's. Uh, I didn't because I wasn't listening. But nonetheless, this is a uh, a really interesting one. Uh, it's it's got uh, a a really unique sort of premise. Uh, this established world of uh, where possession is occurring, but I mean, it's all very sort of heavy-handed allegory for for political rot, and you know emerging from the city into the, the sort of towns and countryside. And it is, it, it's just really unsettling throughout, you know, it, it introduces this fucking bloat really early. That is like really uncomfortable to look at. And then you, it, it's just a pretty expert tension machine. This movie, uh, you can always see what's going mm. on. You're like, Oh, that dog's sniffing around this demon shirt or whatever and then it just keeps hanging around this dog <laughs> hanging around the dog while, while this kid is petting it looks like the friendliest dog on earth but you know you know something's gonna go horribly wrong and it does <laughs> yep yep it's uh it's it's good man it it's an original horror movie that uh i mean there's there's some comfort and some familiarity in it uh gnarly kills and some good special effects but the number one thing is it's not bogged down in hero worship and nostalgia bullshit, which I don't know. It's, it's very difficult for horror filmmakers to, to not do that. So shout out to this guy for not being a fucking Mark and just, you know, jacking off to evil dead all day. So yeah, good movie. You should watch it. It's on shutter. Yeah. Apparently we, Jack, we need to be watching over? more South American horror. We've had a lot of good luck with it. Like, well, I'll, I'll start by putting over, not the one I was originally going to put over, but uh, the director of When Evil Lurks, Damien Rugna, uh, his previous film, his previous feature he made, um, was called Atrados, Terrified. Um, and I might have honestly put it over a few years back when I watched it, but it's a fun movie. It's, you know, you know the way, like, a lot of ghost movies, they, like, build tension and they're like, you know, when will the ghost appear? And it'll be like a jump scare or whatever. 
terrified is not that. It's just it's just wall to wall ghosts. It's just nonstop ghost action. And I thought it was the funniest fucking movie when I watched it. And like in a, in an appreciative way, it's like it breaks the format so much that it's something new. So terrified also really fun it's probably on shutter too to be honest but you know what i'm gonna put over properly a, a different south american movie i've been watching nothing but south american cinema through over the weekend including when evil lurks but i also watched uh, the cow who sang a song into the future which is a really good title for a movie i think we can all agree but it's directed by francisca alegria it's her debut film, so I'll be keeping an eye on what she does. But a really, really lovely film. It's a Chilean film, and it's kind of like a study of... I guess it's kind of about, like, motherhood and maternal construction set against a, a kind of a, a mom who just re returns from the dead decades later, unexpectedly, unexplainedly. But it's also set against the backdrop of a dairy farm, which obviously has a very specific... Uh, motherhood dynamic what with how dairy cattle are produced and so on really interesting film full of like these little kind of like odd vignettes and strange occurrences um i i really like it it's it's one of those films that just has kind of enough like like petite maman last year with uh, celine shiama's film it has just like enough concept to allow itself to just move around freely within its ideas um, and it's just a really pleasant, it's a beautiful looking film, sounds great, uh, has a musical number with cows, uh, stuff you wouldn't ex necessarily expect. So yeah, uh, The Cow Who Sang a Song to the Future, it's, it's one of the better films I've seen this year, or from this year. Hmm. Well, I figured, since we watched some Norman J. Warren, and it's maybe my least favorite Norman J. Warren, I should put over one that I really like. So, why not watch Prey? It's so much fun. It's a simple story. Just a couple of like weird country bumpkin lesbians living together in a big mansion. And who should come a knocking but a flesh eating space alien? It's great. Everybody loves it. What do you, you, you don't like lesbians and flesh eating space aliens? Who the fuck are you? Why are you listening to this show? It's a, Get over it's yourself. It's an amazing movie because one of the things I love about Prey is that he acts really weird because he's a flesh-eating alien. He takes on human form, but he acts really weird, and the women just write that off as him being from London. <laughs> Which is, yeah, right? I like, just some goofball city guy. I like when the, the little <laughs> Native American girl shoots the predator with a bow and arrow. <laughs> uh, yeah, so watch, watch Prey. And hey, if you're listening to this show right now, you're probably saying... Steve, I'm trying to figure out what my New Year's resolution is. And you're also a little bit upset because I already said my resolution is to marry Myros' mom so I can be his dad. And that might have been your idea, but you know that I'm, I'm just closer to the situation. I know the ins and the outs, and I'm, I'm going to beat you to it. So now that you can't be Myros' dad, well, what about our what current husband, do? by the way? This doesn't strike you as an obstacle. No, he's, he's, yeah, he's an obstacle that I'm going to run right through. Okay. Doesn't and matter. your wife? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's understand it's, it's your mom. Sure. sure. I'm going to say that Adam's mom <laughs> is not a, a Patreon subscriber to the show, obviously. <laughs> no, I don't think she's a listener no, either. <laughs> I, I would not encourage that. But, you know, I steer my loved ones uh, away. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyways, I, I think... What you should do is you should resolve to give Optimism Vaccine money in the new year. Now, 
it's not like going to Planet Fitness where, you know, all you get is, I don't know, some some sore legs and, and, a, and a little sweat in your shirt. No, you actually get something if you're an Optimism Vaccine patron. Uh, you get, if you live in the continental United States, a free movie, a DVD, a Blu-ray, something from my collection that I mail right to your door. You also get access to our patron-only feed, which has gazillions of uh, just exclusive content things. There's podcasts, there's, there's written shit, there's all kinds of weird shit. You don't even know about it yet because you haven't paid for it yet, but one day you will, and you'll know. And we also do exclusive new stuff as frequently as possible, and we are committed in 2024 because we are, we are men who, who honor our commitments and uh, we're committed to, to doing monthly patron exclusives for you guys. So you're going to get more shit than ever before. Now, I know how exciting all this is. And you're also probably saying to yourself, Steve, I got to have more. Can I give you more money? To which I say, absolutely. Now, if you're at that $5 and above level, then you get your name read out on the air and you get to vote in polls for future Optimism Vaccine episodes. So, Myros, who are those lucky five and above folks? We have David, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. We love them all. Now, if you really want to make it a happy new year, okay, and you want to you contribute to, to my, my honeymoon with Myros's mom, which I'm going to use all the Patreon money for, then what you can do is you can give us $25, and that will allow you to choose an episode. Anything you want, and we'll do it. Anything. Anything at all. Think about that. Think of the power that you hold in your hands. It's, it's quite impressive. It's pretty amazing. Right, Myros? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a rare power that we're granting. <laughs> I just want to make sure you're listening since I just found out that you don't listen to my uh, program. You so. know, just barely. I heard my name and responded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in addition to that, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, anything of that nature, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can uh, find us on social media at Optimism Vaccine. And I think that's all for 2023. And we will be back next week.